from Psalm 86, and I want to finish this out in how we're using it. And as I mentioned before, we can approach the Psalms in various ways. We can approach the Psalms doctrinally. Uh, we can look at it from a doctrinal standpoint uh, to learn about the Lord and to learn about us. Uh, we can approach the Psalms from a prophetic perspective. Uh, we can actually go in and see in the Psalms, especially the Messianic Psalms, we can see um, overtones of Christ in there. <clears throat> uh, we can go to the Psalms and look for comfort for ourselves because we can really identify with many of the Psalms in our own spiritual walk. And by the way, that's, a, that's an evidence of really being a child of the Lord. When you start looking in the Psalms and you start seeing yourself and your needs and where you're at with the Lord. <clears throat> uh, but we're looking at this psalm from a perspective of approaching the Lord. And <clears throat> one of the things that we have been emphasizing is to pray with reason. To not just give the Lord a laundry list, or even an extended laundry list. You know, you can have bullet points, so you can have Joe and Sally and Tim and Steve, or you can have Sally, and then you can, Lord, you know Sally, you know that she needs your help, and Lord, would you give her help? And nothing wrong with praying like that, but it's different when you say, now, Lord, you need to help Sally, and here's why you should be moved to help her, because you have pity on those who are without strength. That's, that's kind of an addition, if you would, of praying and that's what we're looking at here in Psalm 86. <clears throat> so let's just again we're going to read the first seven verses even though we're going <clears> to <throat> be looking at the verses after that. Incline your ear O Lord and answer me for I am afflicted and needy. <clears throat> Preserve my soul for I am a godly man. O you my God save your servant who trust in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon you for you will answer me. I think it's worthwhile to remind ourselves that the psalmist reminds the Lord that he's a godly man. And yet, in verse 5, he acknowledges that he needs the Lord to do what in his life? Forgive to forgive him. And I think sometimes we think godliness means that we're without fault before the Lord. But godliness does acknowledge that God is God and we are a man and that we need the Lord to forgive us. And as the psalmist says in another place, if you would mark iniquity, who would stand? Whether you're justified or not, who would stand? No one would stand. And so here we want to look at this praying and approaching the Lord with a reason why 
your supplication should be answered. We saw verse 1, incline your ear and answer me. What's the reason why, why David is wanting the Lord to answer his prayer? Because he is what? What is he? He's afflicted and needy. And there's a reason that in our present distress, whatever that is, in our present need, that the Lord does come and deliver the afflicted and the needy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 2, Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. And of course, this is a plea for the Lord to keep his soul based on the fact that David has taken the Lord as his God and his possession. You'll notice he says, Oh, you, my God. David said, Look, I don't have other gods. You're my God. And I am coming to you, so keep my soul. And then in verse 3, we saw, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day long. Here's a plea for God's favor based on the frequency of his request. This isn't vain repetition. It's this, these are requests that are flowing out of his afflicted and needy soul. Then you have verse 4. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And this is an acknowledgement from David that gladness and joy, soul joy, soul gladness, comes from the Lord. And this is what David meant when he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This was joy within him. And this isn't a sinful request for us to ask this. Don't you want joy? Everybody wants joy. Nobody wants misery. And so the Lord can give that. Then in verse 5, this is where we stopped after this one. We saw the foundation of all the request, and that is the Lord Himself. The Lord is good. Amen. The Lord is ready to forgive. Satan will tell you He's not ready to forgive. You've done it too many times. God says, I am ready to forgive. And that from the Lord streams an abundance of loving kindnesses to us. And it comes to people, verse 5, who call upon His name. So we are people of prayer. We're not only people of the book, we're people of prayer to the Lord. And all of this <clears throat> motivates us to ask. The fact that He's good, the fact that He's ready to forgive, the fact that He bows His ear to the poor and needy, the fact that He is abundant in loving kindness. These are all motivations that are screaming to us to come for whatever our needs are. And then we have, <clears throat> excuse me, the next one, verse 7. <clears throat> in the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. This is David repeating really what he began in verse 1 by saying that he is afflicted and needy. And all of the things that he has said thus far, those six verses, 
really strengthen him and calls him to say, Lord, not just incline your ear to hear me. No, you will hear me because this is who you are. And I was struck as I went through there is that in verses 1 and 2, you almost get a sense that David is weary in his praying. But by the time you get to verse 7, you see him strengthened in his praying. A weariness, Lord, please answer me. This is frequent. I'm calling upon you. And then by the time you get to verse 7, it's like, no, in the day of my trouble, I'm going to call upon you. Why? Not you may answer me, you you will answer me. And I think there's a progression in David's soul as he is doing these previous six verses to give him the assurance that, in verse 6, that the Lord will give his ear, the Lord will heed the voice of the supplication, and that in the day of trouble, the Lord will answer him because David is asking him to do that. And I must confess to you that this is really a supernatural thing. Usually, when we pray for something frequently, we move from weariness to weariness. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. We just get tired. Mm -hmm. And of course our Lord says, don't be weary in this. But we do. But here we have something supernatural happening in the heart and soul of David to where he's actually, as he's saying these things and he's meditating on these things, he's being strengthened in his prayer and confidence that the Lord will answer that. What a gift. That is. <clears throat> then in our next section, in verses 8 through 13, we have two. <clears throat> First one's in verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now this is based off <clears throat> verses 8 and 9. In verse 8 he says, there's no one like you that corresponds to the you alone are God. There's no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Now note, note the wondrous deeds that cause David to say that God is great and that he is God alone. Verse 9. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Does everybody see that? Okay, so here, here we have David. He is praising the Lord. He's giving gratitude for the uniqueness of who God is and the uniqueness of His work. He calls them wondrous deeds. No other imaginary God bears this same uniqueness as who God is and His works, I'm going to add this, among the people of the earth. Now note verse 9 again. 
All nations. Nations are comprised of who? People. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, and they, that is the nations, the people, shall glorify your name. <clears throat> it is God's uniqueness and His unique work among people that bring David to pray to God alone for God to answer his prayer. And I was sitting here thinking, what, what is it about the Lord that makes this so unique, and what relationship does verse 9 have to verses 8 and 10? And this is what I came up with. And what I'm about to say, I did not verify. I don't think I could verify. It's just a sense, but I'm going to throw it out here for your consideration. <clears throat> when man creates imaginary gods, whether they're in the imagination of their heart, or whether it's the imagination of forming trees and stones and material things into idols. When man creates imaginary deities, he generally, I'm saying generally because I can't say all the time, but he generally creates them because he wants prosperity in his life. In other words, they're sacrificing their children in the Old Testament. Why? Because they want their imaginary gods to do something on their behalf to make them prosperous. Everybody following me? <clears throat> but what they don't do with their imaginary gods, in general, is they don't go to their imaginary gods and say, I need you to do something inside of me. Why? Because they think that their own works can approach God and can move God. They don't see themselves as having any need internally or any desire for their imaginary God to change anybody else internally. Everybody, everybody following in general what I'm saying. What is our unique God doing that makes Him so wondrous and so great in His person and His deeds? It's verse 9. He actually changes the hearts of people to do what? Worship Him. That's amazing. This is what makes Him unique. Folks, God is just not there to give you a good job, to give you nice retirement, to have you a nice, easy life, comfortable, without a lot of trouble. The gods of the earth, quote, do that. What makes Him unique? He works in the hearts of people. And that's what David's wanting the Lord to do. He's wanting the Lord to work in the hearts of his adversaries 
either to keep them from putting him into adversity by changing something, or by changing them himself so they'll worship him too. This is amazing. In other words, you won't hear a pagan go to his pagan god and say, will you regenerate me? Will you make me a new creation? Will you work out your righteousness in my life? Would you save my neighbor? You don't hear that. What you hear is requests for comfort and prosperity and movement in their life. They really don't care about their neighbor if their neighbor's in the way of them getting prosperity. They'd be just fine for the imaginary God to take them out. This is one of the things that makes our God unique among all the other gods on the face of the earth. And folks, because our God is unique in this, and He does wondrous works in the hearts of people, that ought to encourage you to go to Him and pray. Right? That ought to encourage you to go and pray for your neighbor, or pray for your neighborhood, or pray for that person that you're witnessing to. That the Lord would work in their hearts. Because He is that unique. He is the Creator of all. And He can take His Word and He can take your feeble and my feeble attempts and He can work in the hearts of people. Surely, I think we can say, you alone are God. (laughs) You alone can do this. That's a great reason to come to Him and pray, isn't it? Because if your need is internal... If your need is to work in your adversaries or in your neighbors or to bring regeneration or give credibility to a gospel witness, He's able to do that. And He alone is able to do that. Verse 13 is our next one. For your loving kindness toward me is great and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol or from the grave. Because our Lord is unique and because our Lord does intervene and work in the hearts of people, David says, teach me. Teach me. Folks, when you ask the Lord to teach you, what are you acknowledging? That you're ignorant. Right? You don't know. And we definitely don't know like He knows. And because He does work in the soul of people, and He alone can do this, well, what do I need in my soul? I need to be taught. So teach me. And then David says in verse 11, that if the Lord would do that and teach me how to walk in His way, that he would walk in it. And folks, I think here's a very, very important thing. Sometimes believing people 
are like people when Paul was brought to Mars Hill in Athens. And what the people said to Paul was, we've never heard things like this before. Tell us about it. In other words, it's one thing to approach God for teaching because you're curious. It's another thing to say, if you teach me, I'll what? I'll do it. I will walk in your ways. Now it's understood that David knows that the Lord's going to have to give him grace. So he's praying for teaching. And he verbalizes that he will walk in what he's been taught. And then he says, Unite my heart to fear your name. To unite your heart to fear God is to make God's ways and our ways one. To make God's mind and our mind one. And if you want to turn over there, but Jeremiah chapter 32, he actually mentions this along with the other components that are required for this. Jeremiah 32 and verse 38, he says, They shall be my people and I will be their God. Verse 39, And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. That's what it means, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me one heart and one way that is your way. And when that happens, then I will have the proper fear to walk in those ways because I will fear to displease you. And that's a great prayer, isn't it? Teach me. I'll do it. But unite my heart with your heart in this so that I may fear your name. And all of those requests are based upon verse 13, the loving kindness of the Lord. And I've made this statement many, many times. But if the Lord has shown you something out of His Word about Himself, and He has changed your heart that you want to obey it, that is His love to you. That is His love to you. There's no greater love that He could give you because to know God in that way is eternal life. This is the supremeness of His love. Cars, lands, prosperities, comforts, all of those are great things. And they all come from God. But they pale in significance to this great expression of His loving kindness. And then our last one, verse 17. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. What David is doing is he's returning back 
to his original petition. You'll see that in verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. You'll see it in verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. So the bookends of this is your graciousness to me. <clears throat> and what David desires is what I'm calling tools of endurance. Tools of endurance. Know what he says, verse 16, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Grant me your what? Strength. strength. Do you see that? Grant me your strength. Well, when you ask God to give you strength, what you're asking for is endurance. Now, you still want the Lord to answer the prayer, right? But in the meantime, what do you need? You need strength. You need endurance. And of course, he's going to talk about salvation. Save the son of your handmaid. He's going to talk about graciousness. All of those are tools of endurance while you're waiting for the Lord to answer your prayer. And then David wants a sign of God's goodness upon him. And he not only wants God's goodness to come to him, he wants other people to see that God is being good to him. Verse 17, show me a sign for good. What's the reason? That those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. <clears throat> and of course, lost people and people who speak against one another, they often don't see the good that they are after. They only can see the negative. But the Lord asked that the Lord would open the eyes so that they would see it. And then he asked all of this because of what the Lord has done in his prayer request. Because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And I think two things are involved in this. I think David is looking back and remembering how the Lord has helped him in other previous issues with people. And I think he's looking back and seeing how the Lord has comforted and strengthened him. And then he's answered his prayer. And because of what he sees when he looks back, and because, verse 7, he is assured that God is going to answer him, that he has the same assurance that God will help him presently and God will strengthen him and answer that prayer request. This really is amazing. <clears throat> It may not be so amazing about what he's asking for, although that might be to many believers. It's amazing that he's reasoning with the Lord to say, this is who you are. And because I know who you are, this is why I'm asking the prayer. Knowing who you are motivates me to request. And it gives me the assurance that you are going to answer. I want to encourage you again 
to take this challenge up. Some of you have already begun doing that. I've actually listened to your prayer and you've either were already doing it or you've starting to incorporate it into your prayer life. And <clears throat> kudos to you for doing that. But if we would learn to approach the Lord with the Lord as our reason, what you will end up doing is praying according to His will. You will end up praying according to His will. Why? Because you've given thought to your prayer. You've given thought to your request. And you're saying, okay, I'm going to ask this request and I'm going to ask it based on loving kindness. Well, that would be His will, wouldn't it? For you to request a request like that. Now, He may answer it anew in a way that you unforeseen, but He will answer it according to His loving kindness. You're praying according to the person of God. It makes you think through your request before you request it. We can always give the Lord bullet points. We can always elaborate on the problem. Whether it's in our lives or in another person's life. But to ask those bullet point requests thinking through them and asking ourselves why should the Lord even consider answering when I'm praying? That's amazing. It really is a mark of maturity. And I say that because children make requests whatever enters their mind at the moment. They really are driven by whatever desires enter into their thinking. Right? If they're going to grow, they, didn't, they may not, you know, they're oblivious to life and what's going on. You go in a grocery store, they see a cookie thing. Here's a cookie box. They just blurt out, I want some cookies. Or as I've seen some children do, they just reach over and put it in the cart. They're just making a request based on a desire that just kind of flit into their minds. And thankfully, the Lord does accommodate our childishness many times and just like that. But a person of spiritual maturity approaches the Lord recognizing His need for forgiveness and His need for the Lord's goodness and loving kindnesses. Folks, we, whatever we have has been gifted to us. And you don't want to go in prayer and be a mindless prayer. You are approaching a great king. 
you are approaching the Lord of creation. Why should He even listen to us? Unless we carry a Psalm 1 mindset into our prayer time. A Psalm 1 man meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. Well, what you're seeing is prayer based on David's meditations on who the Lord is. And this is how we need to draw near and to converse with Him about it. So brethren, just really, really work on this in your prayer time. And it will be a struggle to put this type of mindfulness. It's easy to pray mindlessly than it is to pray mindfully and to come to our Lord because of who He is and His willingness to answer our prayer request. Let's go